It's good to be with you. I'm Matt. I'm the campus pastor here at, the, at our Fish Creek campus. We're continuing our series on transformation. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ian Green come and kick us off. Uh, we had a great Sunday with him. Uh, last week, we were celebrating transformation stories with the covenant community, people joining covenant community, those getting baptized, hearing what God is doing in our midst in transforming folks. And over the next three weeks, uh, we just want to dive into the theme of transformation a little bit more uh, closely. And uh, we're going to start uh, today looking at how God trans- uh, transforms us in the inside, and next week how He transforms us as a community, and then how He uses us uh, to transform the places uh, in which we go. And so that's kind of the three-week outline we're looking at. If you would uh, like a Bible, we're going to have ushers come forward, and uh, you can just put up your hand. And if you don't have a Bible, just grab that one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can just keep that one. It's not stealing, honestly. No one's going to catch you on the way out. Uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, please take it if you don't own one. Uh, yeah, SunWest has six values that we, uh, that we want to mark who we are as a people. Uh, those values are transformation, community, intimacy with God, living God's word, servanthood, and risk-taking. Those six values are actually going to become the theme for this year. We will uh, go through these values for the sermon series uh, for the entirety of this year, with the exception of, you know, Easter and Christmas and those pieces. Uh, But our hope is to really dig into uh, the types of people that God's calling us to be. You know, values is a little bit different than a a vision and a mission, we have our vision, we have our mission, we, we talk about those regularly, uh, but the values kind of mark the essence of who we are. Like if people were to run into a Sun Wester, um, what do we hope they would, that would rub off on them? What would they notice about us? And uh, so it's our hope that they would run into people that have been transformed, that people that value authenticity and community, uh, people that have an intimate relationship with God, people that believe in the authority of Scripture and are living in obedience to what God has written to us, people that serve others and people that are taking risks because they're following the Holy Spirit's leading and what he's doing in the world, and so we're people marked by risk-taking. And so these are the values that we want to mark us, and so we're looking forward to just journeying through those over the course of uh, the year. But transformation is our theme, our focus, and we believe that following Jesus will change our lives, and through us, he'll change the world. It's God's initiative, it's God's grace, it's God's will uh, that initiates any kind of transformation in our world, in our lives. But for some reason, God thought it was a good idea that he would transform the world through his people. I know one of those questions that when I get, when I get to heaven, I want to ask him, you know, God, you had lots of great stuff that you did, lots of great stuff you planned, and I agreed with most everything. Uh, but one of the things I have a hard time wrapping my brain around is why would you use broken, messed up people like me to be the primary means in which you transform the world. And I don't have an answer for it. I don't have a good answer for it. I just know that that's that's what he's done. And that's his plan A. And that there isn't a plan B or a C. That that he seems just super intent on making sure that he's going to transform us. And then as we work with him, he's going to work with us as we transform the places around us. The, The picture we have with the transformation theme for the series is the picture of the iceberg that you saw. 
And as you know, the iceberg, you see very, a very small percentage of it on the surface, but most of it you know, is lying beneath the surface as you see. And it just, that's there, just there to indicate and draw a picture that we, when we look at one another, uh, we only kind of see the surface. We see the projection. We see the behavior. Uh, but what we see is always, there's always way more to somebody than what we see. That our, our behavior is actually coming out of who we are on the inside. It's coming out from a deeper place. And if we want to live in a transformed way in, the, in how we behave and how we, how we live out our Christian walk, um, it doesn't just come from trying harder. It actually comes from being transformed beneath the surface. Some of the scriptures, uh, we don't have them on the screen, but I'll, I will highlight, um, I'll highlight just a couple that, that SunWest has kind of associated with this transformation theme. In Colossians 3, 9 to 10, uh, Paul writes, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. And Philippians 2 it says, Dear friends, you've always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That God is the one that transforms us from the inside out. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect word, world. Will. Will. <laughs> Say, be transformed. Be transformed. This, the, the, this word in the Greek is metamorph, metamorphuste. Say that one. Metamorphuste. What word does it sound like? Metamorphosis. Absolutely. Which describes the butterfly, the transformation from a butterfly into, or from a caterpillar into a butterfly. The word in the Greek means to remodel, to change to an, another form. Metamorphosis for a butterfly takes 10 to 15 days. But I think metamorphosis for a human being like you and I uh, takes a lifetime. But because there's always a need to be transformed, sometimes folks um, don't engage in the importance of transformation. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the reality is that God wants to transform us. He wants to change us. And He doesn't want us to wait till someday. He doesn't want to wait till we get to heaven. He, he, he didn't come just to take us from here to heaven someday. He actually came to bring heaven to earth. And not just around us, but first and primarily in us. This is the theme that we see from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end of Scripture. This morning, I want to take a look at um, a very high, uh, high view of John, the Gospel of John. It's the fourth, the fourth book in your Bible, uh, in your New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are your four Gospels. John is unique to the other Gospels. He's, if you read it, it's very different than the other ones. It's a bit more metaphorical. There's lots of double meanings in it. Uh, but John is very intentional in how he puts his gospel together. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to I invite you to open to John uh, chapter 1. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning 
with, with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Say reborn. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. John in the beginning of his gospel, starts with a creation account. We have the creation account at the beginning of Genesis, but John here in the New Testament gives another creation account. This is very intentional for how John designs his gospel because he wants us to framework what he's saying, what he's writing, the story he's writing in the context of God's creative work in history. What John does here is he puts Jesus right into creation. He's saying Jesus wasn't you know, it didn't just happen. Jesus is actually an eternal being. Jesus is God with flesh on. That it was through Jesus, the Jesus that we've come to know, that God created the whole world, created the earth. You know that Genesis story when God created everything, the heavens and the earth? Jesus was there at the beginning, and it's through him that God created it. So in the beginning, the word existed, this, this, this word, it's the Greek word logos, it's the logic, the reason, the reasoning of God. The word was with God, the word was God, Jesus is God, and God created everything through him. And so when we want to understand the logic of God, the reason of God, we primarily look to Jesus, and scripture is primarily given to us as the written word to reveal to us the living word, which is Christ. And so John's very intentional that Jesus is the revelation of who God is. And that if we miss that revelation, we actually miss the whole point of God's written word. That Jesus was the one through whom God created everything that we see. And John's very clear here, um, and, and we'll see this theme, that, uh, this theme of light and darkness that existed in Genesis, but we see the theme of light and, and darkness here in John uh, 1 as well. Uh, but he's clear. He says, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with the physical, resulting, physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This birth is not a result of human effort, human behavior. It's not, uh, we don't try harder to be born. How many of you guys had to work really hard to be born? You, you remember that? Yeah. Lucas remembers. Uh, most of us don't have a recollection, and that's part of the grace of God that we don't remember that moment in our life, I think. But it, it's... We're going to see this word again in a second. It's, it's, the, it's in the passive form in the Greek, which means uh, that it's not something that you do. It's not active thing that you do. It's passive. It's something that happens to you. It happens to you and I, this, this rebirth, this being reborn. Uh, you know, when, I was, when we went to like the pregnancy classes before we had our first child, I remember them telling us, like, uh, to the husbands, they said, when your wife is in labor, there's nothing you can do, so don't, don't even try. And, and they did this exercise where we squatted against the wall. You know, I don't, did any of you guys do this, where they made you squat against the wall? 
No? Okay. So we, we squatted against the wall as men, and, and then they coached the women to, to encourage us, um, you know, because I think we had to do it for five minutes or as long as we could last, and, and the guys were like just dying against the wall. Their legs are burning, and the wives were like, I, I, good job, and there's nothing they could do. You know, it was to put the wife in the position of the male uh, in the moment of childbirth that there's, it's really this helpless feeling. And, uh, and I can remember that when, I, when we were in the hospital, and I can remember trying to, you know, I was standing by, like, Lisa's bedside, like, what do I do, what do I say? You know, I, I think at one point I, like, went to put a hand on her, and she, like, pushed my hand off, and she's like, don't touch me. And uh, I was like, wait, a... she's like, don't say anything. I was like, so I just go, you know, sit. I should just go sit on the other side of the room, and, and the thing just happens. She's like, yeah. And so I remember I had a magazine. I'm like, she's in labor. I'm sitting on the couch, like reading a magazine. Um, there, there, there was nothing I could do to make it happen. And it's this helpless feeling. But this is the concept that we, that we have here in, in John, the God, that Jesus wants us to be reborn. And this theme comes up again. If you, if you turn just the your Bible's over to the next page or two pages later, we get to John chapter 3, and we have Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this, this religious leader, um, and the fact that John names him in his gospel is actually pretty significant because John doesn't typically name uh, most of the characters, but Nicodemus was a known character. He was a religious leader that had followers, and, and it reads this. It says, there's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, he was this religious elite guy. He, he knew his scriptures. He, he, the way he behaved and lived, was he was trying hard. He was trying really hard to please God. After dark, one evening, everybody say after dark. I'm just going to pause there really quick because the theme in John's gospel, he talks a lot about darkness and light and you know, other metaphors like that. But darkness represents this, this separation from God. It represents our need for God. And Nicodemus, we see, we, we, we see here in dark, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus, and he came in the dark because he was afraid, because he was ashamed, because if there was other religious folks that would have seen him coming to Jesus, uh, you know, it would have put his entire reputation on the line. And so he's not quite sure about Jesus, he wants to journey towards him, wants to ask him a question, but uh, he feels like he needs to come in the dark so he's not seen. So after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, let's read this theme again, born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This word born again means two things. There's double meanings here. It means to be born again in phys- like in the physical metaphor like Jesus is referring to, uh, but it also means to be born from above. To be born from above, that uh, 
that heaven is breaking into earth, that there's a reality that's coming from a different place that is birthing something in this place. And this is the same word that's used in John 1 verse 13 that we just read a minute ago. Nicodemus coming in the night, separated from God, saying, I want to, you know, tell me what I need to do. Like, and Jesus says, you can't be part of the kingdom unless you're born again. It's like, well, how do I become born again? How, how, does, how do I experience this rebirth, this passive thing? Like, I can't go back to my mother's womb. And, uh, and Jesus isn't even super helpful there, but he says that you can't experience this unless you're born of water and spirit. An illusion, uh, water being an illusion potentially to baptism or even being an illusion to physical birth um, as well. But born again has unfortunately been tied to specific political, religious, fundamentalist Christian belief systems. And that's what Jesus is getting at. What he's simply getting at is that the kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom is actually from heaven. And if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, if you're going to be a child of God, you need to be born again. There's a new creation that needs to happen. And Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, picks up on this, and he rewrites this one section, and he writes it like this. Jesus said, you're not listening, Nicodemus. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. So Eugene Peterson recognizes that this new creation that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about is an echo of the original creation. And that even the word spirit, pneuma, is a play on words. It's, it has double meanings because it means spirit and wind and breath. That unless God's spirit, unless the wind of God actually comes and shapes you and forms you, you can't be born again. I love it. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into new life, it's not possible to enter the kingdom. John is intent on making sure that we as the readers, both then and now, see what he's telling us, what he's describing to us as the beginning of something new. And so we see this in John 1 verse 1. Um, it's an echo. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through this in John. I, I did it a few years ago, but um, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, I think, in the book of John. And so um, John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word is with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. It's an echo of Genesis chapter 1. Everybody say echo. You got to, you know, when, when my kids were younger, they, they would walk into a new space, and I'm not going to yell into my microphone because I would hurt your ears, but they would yell, echo, as loud as they could, and just see if the room echoed. They would sit there. Um, and, uh, and so you got you to gotta yell echo like that, okay? Like you're, this is a dead room, and it's actually not going to echo for you just to warn you. But if it were, you know, we're testing to see if there's an echo. So one, two, three. Echo! All right. So there's an echo. There's an echo of the creation story here. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. The darkness, see the theme of darkness. The darkness covered the deep of the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. John, retelling Genesis 1 and John 1. 
John 1.1 being the same as Genesis 1.1. You'll see that in the next slide. These, these themes of creation in the beginning. This formless, this darkness, and, and God brings light. God brings form. God brings a new thing into existence. And then we have this encounter with Nicodemus and John 3 where, where, where John makes sure he brings these themes in again, this new creation, this, this thing that God's doing. And, the, and this conversation with Nicodemus kind of frames the entire book of John. We, and we come to the end of the book of John. In John chapter 20, And so, there's the Good Friday, Jesus dies on the cross, um, you know, the silence in the, in the middle day there, and then on the third day, he's raised to life, the resurrection day. John gets to in John chapter 20, and it says, early on the Sunday morning, while it was still dark, everybody say dark, okay, so these themes again coming out, early, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, this, this phrase, early on the Sunday morning, the translators in the New Living Translation, which we were just reading, took the effort to translate that for us as a Sunday, but we, we kind of miss something there. Uh, it literally says, on the first day, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, the week for the Jews was framed by the creation story. This is the first day of the week. This is the first day of a new creation. This is the first day of something new that God is doing among us. So if this is day one of the new day, if we go back two days, what day are we on? The sixth day. The sixth day. What happened on the sixth day in creation? In the creation story in Genesis, God created... The man, the man and the woman. If we go back six days in the, or to the sixth day, two more days in the book of John, we come to John chapter 19, verse 5. Jesus being brought out before his crucifixion. It says, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. Say, the man. If you look at the Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, On the seventh day, God had... Or, sorry, 2, verse 7. Where are we? Then the, God, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So the man, Adam in Hebrew, literally means the man. John here very intentionally says, Jesus comes forward as the man, as another Adam, which we see in Corinthians and Romans, that Jesus is the new Adam, the beginning of something new. So we, we hear this echo. Say echo. echo. Oh, that wasn't like we practiced. Say echo. echo. All right. See, this echo of the old creation story in the new creation story that John is writing. And we keep going. We can come to John 19, verse 30. And we have here, uh, Jesus is thirsty uh, he's given some sour wine that was soaked in a sponge. And then when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Say echo. Echo. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. 
it is finished. If we read in Genesis 1, Genesis 1, verse 31, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day. God had finished his work of creation. So we see here that John echoing again the creation story. Jesus finishes what he came to do on the sixth day. And then what happened in the seventh day of the creation story? Does anybody remember what happened on the seventh day? God rested. It says here that God had finished his work of creation on the sixth day, so he rested from all of his work. Jesus on the sixth day finished what he came to do, and on the seventh day, he's resting in the tomb. Silence. Which brings us back to John 20, verse 1, the very first day of the week. This is the first day of the new creation. And we see these themes continuing to unpack here as we go through the book of John. We get to John uh, 20, verse 15. Um, 20, verse 15. So uh, Jesus appears uh, to Mary Magdalene. Uh, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was a what? A gardener. Say echo. 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 We got these guys here carrying it for us. Thank you, guys. John 2.15, or Genesis 2.15, reads, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. The Lord God put man in the garden to be a gardener, to tend over the creation. We were given responsibility. John is helping us see here that what Jesus was responsible for, that Jesus was made responsible for that which humanity was originally responsible for, for, for taking care of all of creation. And we screwed it up. But there's a new man that came, a new Adam that came that was going to do it perfectly. And Jesus comes as a new Adam, as this gardener who's tending and caring for creation. John 20, verse 23. So Jesus, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Echo? Echo! What happened when God had formed man? He formed him from the dust and then he did what? He breathed into the dust. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the, life, the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. See, John wants you and I to see that it was through Jesus that everything in this world was created, and it's through him again that everything in this world will be recreated and made new. But he doesn't come to recreate the physical world at this point in the gospel. He actually 
uh, in Scripture, He comes to reform and to remake you and I. He comes to breathe life into people. Jesus is intending to make everything new in this world from the inside out. And He starts with you and me. And ironically, um, I, just, I just noticed this yesterday when I was rereading through the story. Fascinating. Uh, in John 19, uh, starting verse 38, it says that afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the guy we ran into in John 3, comes here in John 19. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come, just in case you forgot, the man who had come to Jesus at night, the man who was afraid, the man who was kind of discovering who Jesus was but wasn't quite sure about who he was. Now he's there in broad daylight. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jesus' burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. We, we, hear, we see this guy, Nicodemus, in the dark, separated from the presence of God, who encounters Jesus. In chapter 19, we see a new Nicodemus. This guy who's not afraid if people see him with Jesus. This guy who's not afraid if people know that he loves Jesus who's not ashamed if people see him helping bring the spices and doing the burial rituals for Jesus. That in Nicodemus, we see a mirror of ourselves in this journey of darkness to light, of old creation being made new, of searching and wondering and asking questions about Jesus to actually falling in love with him, regardless of what other people might think. And then in John 20, Jesus comes, breathes his Holy Spirit onto his disciples, echoing the new creation. And this is significant. This idea of the Holy Spirit is is critical to us understanding what God's doing in the story of Scripture, but also in the story of our lives. It's only a couple of chapters later in your Bible that we we come into Acts. And in Acts 1 verse 8, it says... uh, It says this, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've talked about this passage before at SunWest, that God wants to move out. But what's significant about this is that Jerusalem is not a, primarily a geographical location. The significance of Jerusalem is what? The significance of Jerusalem we see in the next chapter in Acts is that it's in Jerusalem. It'll be in Jerusalem that Pentecost happens, that the moment in the the history of the church is when God's Spirit breaks into the world to His people. That Jerusalem is not symbolic of our personal geographical domain. It's, It's the location of this spiritual historical event where the breath of God, the wind of God actually comes and his people are taking, take sail with the wind of God. That they're born again. That they're filled with the Spirit. 
that it's from this personal inward encounter with God that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, actually progresses out from Jerusalem, from this inward encounter through this transformation that happens from the inside out, then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That this being born, this being filled, is the beginning of transformation. And at Sunwest, we've talked a lot about the importance of being in transformative relationships and community and transforming our workplaces and families. And, and we're going to talk about those things in the coming weeks, but we, we cannot put the cart before the horse. We can't actually be a transformative people without being transformed first. And this event at Pentecost, it's not just a vaccine. It's not just this thing that you get a one-shot, oh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, boom, I'm good for life. It's, it's not like the vaccine you get in school. It's, the, the word is a, it's a, it's an ongoing word in the Greek. It, it, it's something that has to continually happen, this being filled. Uh, and in Acts 2, when it comes and the Spirit comes and the people hear the, you know, the disciples of Jesus talking in different languages. And other people are observing and watching what's going on. They say, man, they're drunk. And uh, to which Peter responds, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not even happy hour yet. They can't, they can't be drunk. Uh, but if we were to keep even to think of the theme of being drunk, if you and I wanted to be drunk 24-7, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, um, we're going to be drunk today, tomorrow, you know, all the way to next Sunday when I meet you again, I'm going to be hammered. What would need to happen in order for me to be continually drunk? I would need to keep drinking. I would need to drink and drink and drink. Now, just to be clear, I'm using this metaphorically. Um, <laughs> if we are to live a li life of transformation, it's not... It's, it, it's not this one-time event. It's not this Jerusalem Pentecost event where, hey, God's Spirit came. I had this really cool encounter with God, you know, 10 years ago, and uh, it's kind of set me on course and, and transformed my life. No, transformation is an ongoing reality from the inside out. The need to be continually filled with God's Spirit. Our posture is always in a continual position of receiving And so what are the signs of being filled with the Spirit? Is it acting like a drunk? No, Paul actually tells us the effects, the signs of the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit, the effects of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, we can't, like Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the Spirit, like the wind, if you can't see it, but you can actually see the effects of the wind. Do we see the effects of the Spirit in our life? Do, do we see the, the effects of God's transformative power in your life? Are you becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good? That word doesn't... Sorry, bad grammar. Uh, more faithful, more gentle. Are you increasing your ability to be in self-control. Because those are the effects of the Spirit on our lives. 
And God wants us to be a part of transforming the world around us, but unless we're transformed from the inside, then we can't, then we're of no good to what's around us. Now, as we mentioned earlier, it's the, it's God's effort, it's His activity in our life that transforms us, not our effort. You know, for for years, the, the church had a hard time with this, and they, they created all these uh, religious uh, behaviors that one had to kind of, these hoops that one had to jump through in order to be made right with God. And an important shift happened in the 16th century that we know as the Reformation, and they said, wait a second, we can't actually be made right with God through our own effort. You can't work your way to God. It only happens from God. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. This is referred to as the Reformation happened in the early uh, to mid-16th century. And that was an important understanding for the church to, to get, that we don't behave our way into a new creation. It's actually only from God that we're made new, that we're, that we're saved, that we're liberated, um, that we're in His family. But the pendulum swung too far because as they embraced this idea that we're saved by grace alone, they started thinking it doesn't really matter how we live because it's through grace that we're saved anyways. There was another group that came after them in response to what was going on, uh, referred to as the Anabaptists. You know, uh, Sun West is a Mennonite Brethren Church, which comes out of the Anabaptist movement. If you want to find out more about that, come to the 201 at lunchtime, 1230. Uh, But the Anabaptists came out of uh, the Reformation responding to it, and they said, behavior is actually important. How we live is important. God's not just interested in taking us to heaven someday. He wants heaven to come to earth in our lives right now. So yes, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's God's initiative and God's power that transforms us, but that transformation um, has a, an effect on the way that we live. And it's important that the human participates with what God's Spirit is doing in their lives. That we just can't expect that God's Spirit will come and transform us without any cooperation with us. God doesn't work like that. He, he works in the context of our will. He works with us in the decisions that we make, and we invite Him. We, we give Him time. We give Him space. We give Him authority. We give Him reign. The kingdom of God means the reign of God. We give Him that reign in our lives. And if we don't give Him that reign and authority, um, then we actually limit the ability of the Spirit to transform us. It's how God has chosen to work with us because He values relationship. And so grace is intended not just to save you someday, but it's actually intended to change you today. How you live matters. Jesus wants to bring transformation today, not just someday in heaven. And at SunWest, we believe that that transformation is available to every one of us today, that His Spirit wants to come and empower and change us today. So, staying in the book of Acts, just really quickly, in Acts, uh, an example of this, in Acts 19, uh, starting in verse 11, we have a very interesting story. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. And you can look at the conversion of Paul. It was this radical thing that happened um, where, where God, he had this encounter with God. The Spirit of God came on Paul and, and ended up transforming Paul from the inside out. Um, so God gave 
Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, leading priests, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirits replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with this evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. You see, when, when they encounter these evil forces in the world, these evil spirits, they say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. You see... They were trying to be transformative in their world without having an inner transformation. They were trying to live off of a secondhand faith. For many of us, you know, we, you know, we're part of a family or we come to a you know, church on Sunday morning, and it doesn't matter what's around you unless the Spirit of God transforms you from the inside out. We can't have a transformative impact in our world unless we personally have a transformative experience with God. These guys, they were, they were well-intended, but they thought that what had happened to Paul was su- sufficient for what they wanted to do in their lives. But it's clear in Scripture that God wants to do something fresh and unique in you. And then after that, He wants to do something through you. In contrast, we see in Acts 3, 3 verse 6, that there's a, lame, uh, there's a lame beggar who's begging for, for money. And we see Peter, again, who's had a, who spent time with Jesus, who's been transformed by the Spirit of God. And he says to this beggar, this beggar, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. You see, my, my kids come to me all the time and they want money for candy. And I don't carry cash around with me anymore. Um, and I'm not about to give them my visa card. So I, I tell them, I was like, I don't have any money. But Dad, I want a licorice. I don't have any money. But Dad, I really, really, really want a licorice. And I said, I can't give you what I don't have. Don't you understand that? And we have a world of need around us that needs healing, that needs hope, that needs light. And God wants His primary purpose of transformation to be through His people, through His church. But is the response that we give to the world, I can't give you that because I actually don't have it. It's not, it's not a matter of you know, being saved or being a child of God. It's actually simply a matter of being empowered by the Spirit of God, transformed by the Spirit of God. Because God wants to do more through you. And when we consider Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night, we recognize that we all come to Jesus in the night. We all come to Jesus in the dark. We all come to Jesus in need of light, in need of transformation. As soon as you don't think you need transformation, you actually stop becoming a transformative uh, person for God to use in this world. Throughout Scripture, we see these, these themes being contrasted. We see darkness and light. We see death and life. We see sickness and healing, separation and relationship, 
slavery and bondage to liberation, sin to holiness, offense to forgiveness, being lost and being found, destruction to restoration. The theme over and over again in Scripture is that God's bringing good news, but unless we come to grips with the bad news, the good news doesn't mean anything. I had uh, the privilege a couple weeks ago to speak um, uh, Canadian Mennonite University, they do this school on the road thing where they kind of travel and do school. And so speaking with the, you know, these university guys, uh, meeting with the guys specifically uh, for, for the week, a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and we get in the van, and we were based at a Rocky Mountain house, so just a little ways away from the mountains, but we, we were doing a mountain trip day uh, where we're going to go to the mountains, we're going to do a hike. And we get in the van, and about an hour after driving, we start coming into the mountains. And all these guys, they're like, whoa, this is amazing. They're unbuckling out of their seatbelts. They're calling into the front seat. They got their phones out. They're taking pictures. And I'm like, whoa, what, what is going on here? And then I realized they're from Manitoba. <laughs> Manitoba and Saskatchewan, these guys come from. And I, I said to them, I was like, you guys never seen the mountains before? Like, no, this is our first time ever. We've never seen the mountains before. You know, a couple of them had seen them, but it had been years since they'd seen them. And, and I was just sitting there like, this is just my backyard. I mean, I, but I did come from Manitoba at one point, and, and it used to blow my mind, but it just became normal. And so um, I was like, I had to repent. I'm like, God, this is so amazing, and I'm sorry that I, um, I forget that sometimes. But it's this, this contrast is like, if you don't recognize you're from the prairies, then the mountains actually become less significant. If you don't recognize that there's darkness, that there's death, that there's sickness, there's separation, there's slavery, there's sin, there's offense, there's lostness, there's destruction, and these words mark every one of us apart from God. If we don't recognize it, we don't start there, then we actually don't embrace and invite the light, the life, the healing, the relationship, the liberation, holiness, forgiveness, and foundness that God wants to bring into our lives. And so do you recognize the need for transformation in your own life? I know that we look out in the world and we say, oh, this world needs to be transformed. But do you recognize it in your own life? Because before God does anything in the world, He wants to do it in you. And before He does it in you, He needs you to recognize that there's a need. And then we come before Him with our need, and then we simply invite God to come, and He does. God comes and He transforms us from the inside out. You know, this last month, uh, I'm going to invite the, the worship team on the stage. Uh, this last month, I've been uh, doing, uh, doing a bit of an eating plan. And eating, you know, changing the way I eat sometimes is important because I recognize that, the, that what I eat affects how I feel, how I look, how I act. And the, the whole, that old motto of you are what you eat, you know, you know there's, there's truth in that. that. You and I know that intuitively that, you know, we eat in a certain way consistently enough and it changes how we feel and how we look, either for the negative or for the better. Jesus, at the end of his time with his disciples, he, they're gathering around, a, you know, the, the Passover meal. And, uh, and he... He gives it new meaning because there's a new thing he's doing, a new covenant, a new creation he's doing. So, you know, now when you come around this meal, he says, I don't want you to just think of the history of what God did in the past, but I want you to think of what the new thing that God wants to do now. 
that when you eat this bread, it's actually my body. When you, when you drink this wine, it's actually my blood. That the message is that we need to consume Jesus because we're transformed from the inside out. That, but in order to come and consume Jesus, his body and his blood, the bread and the wine, we need to acknowledge that we're hungry and that we're thirsty and that we need him. He says, I'm the bread of life. You need to feed off of my presence in order to be truly alive, in order to live in this new creation, to be born again, to be born from above. I am the living water. If you can drink of my water, you're never going to go thirsty. And so for the last couple thousand years, this, the communion table, the, the Eucharist, has defined um, our understanding of our relationship with Jesus, that it, we come to him out of a place of need. We come to him acknowledging that unless God's spirit is alive in me, I'm dead. Unless I'm transformed from the inside, I have nothing eternal or worthwhile to give. And so, this morning, we, we, we're going to invite you to take communion, and the question is, do you recognize the need for transformation in your own life? I know we recognize it for the need in other people's lives. <laughs> I see some of you right now, and I know that God could transform you. Uh, it's always harder to see when I look in the mirror, though. But this is what Jesus is inviting us to. is like, stop looking out there, look in the mirror. He says to Nicodemus, look in the mirror. Do you recognize that you need me? Are you becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, patient, kind? Are, you, are those fruits of the Spirit actually marking who you're becoming? Are you becoming more bitter, more angry, more frustrated, more broken, more lost? And even if you do feel like you're becoming, you're seeing these fruits of the Spirit in the life, the moment that we think we don't need Jesus anymore is the moment that that those things stop being formed in us. So we continually come to the community table. We continue to come to God in our place of need and say, Jesus, transform me from the inside out. Bring your spirit, make me new, breathe your life into me so that I can be part of the new creation, not just someday, but today. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And as the worship team is... Um, actually, that makes communion a little awkward. So I'm going to invite you to sit. Sorry. Stand in a minute when you're done. Um, habits. Uh, I'm going to invite those serving community to come forward. But as you're sitting, the, the servers will come around um, and they're going to bring the elements to you. And I would encourage you as, they, as you receive the elements, uh, the bread and the juice, that, that you would think about your need for God before you take. That Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. My blood spilt for you. Take this, remember me. Take this and remember that you can't actually do life without me. That there's no healing, salvation, liberation, holiness and forgiveness outside of me. And so we come to, to the communion table from a posture of need, inviting God's spirit to change us. And if you're in that place this morning, uh, whether it's just another refilling um, or maybe for the first time you want to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and, and say, I, I'm done living for myself. I want to live for you. The act of communion becomes this confession of, Jesus, you are the source of my life. Change me from the inside out. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son that came the beginning of this new creation. We thank you that you want to breathe life into us today. Lord, that you're not, we're not just hanging on till someday, but we're, you've made heaven and your kingdom available to us today. And Lord, we need you. Each of us, that expression might look different, but the, the narrative is the same for every single one of us that we are in constant need of you. And so we just confess that, Lord, as we take the bread, we take the juice, um, that without the cross, without the resurrection, Lord, we don't have hope. Uh, but thanks to you, we do have hope. So we thank you for that life and that hope. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that, that grace that we just sang about is the beginning of everything. It's not something we accomplish. It's not something that happened to us at one time. It's something that we walk in need of every day. I'm going to invite the, the prayer team forward. Um, and if you would, if you're here this morning and you would like prayer for anything, anything at all, it doesn't even have to be related to what I talked about, uh, we just invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, but also, if you're here and you would like to be maybe a follower of Jesus for the first time, this is you want to begin this journey with him, come and they, the prayer team would love to help you get started out on that journey. Um, if you feel like you've been on that journey, but it's you've actually just need to be reminded, need a fresh start, uh, you want to invite God's spirit to fill you in a fresh way this morning, come forward. We, we'd love to pray for you and bless you in that way as well. But it starts with grace and it's and God's taken the initiative, and, and now it's time for us to respond to him. Uh, Jesus said, when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness, and if, you, and if the light you think you, ha you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And what Jesus is saying is, for people that think they have light, they missed it. For people that think they have no need, that, darkness is, that means that that darkness is quite deep. But as soon as we recognize our need, we're actually already starting to journey towards the night, towards the light. And so we just invite you to open your hearts and your lives to what God's Spirit wants to do in you, uh, to recognize that the transformation is less about what you see that needs to happen out there and more about what God wants to do in you so that he can do something through you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those this morning that have become aware of the darkness in their own lives, Lord, that you bring light. I pray, I pray for those that feel a sense of death, that their life is lacking abundant life. Lord, we pray that you would bring that abundance into their lives. Lord, for those who are experiencing sickness, in the name of Jesus, we proclaim healing, your kingdom to come. Lord, for those who feel separated from you, Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them and remind them that you're with them, that you've never left them. Lord, for those that feel enslaved, enslaved and in bondage to things, um, Lord, we pray for their freedom and liberation. Lord, we pray for those that recognize their own sin this morning, Lord, that they've missed the mark of what you've called them to. Lord, that you would bring forgiveness and keep remaking us into a more holy people. Lord, I pray for those this morning that feel lost, that you would give them a sense of home and foundness 
that those that need restoration in their lives and their relationships, Lord, that you would bring that restoration. Lord, we thank you that you are the God that creates and breathes life into our lives. And so we just inhale. We inhale this morning, Lord, and we say thank you for the new life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen.